We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel, all over social media, or our morning newsletter, KCSN Daily, dedicated to your Kansas City Chiefs. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. KC Laboratory, sponsored by Emprise Bank. What's up, everybody? It's another live edition of the KC Laboratory brought to you by Emprise Bank. Listen, we've entrusted Emprise Bank with everything KC Sports Network. They've been one of our day ones, day one sponsor for the KC Laboratory. And it doesn't matter where we are. We've been able to work with them. They've been flexible to help us build what we want to build. They truly have been our partner in possible. You might call them our Travis Kelsey after last night's game. Emprise Bank out here really just automatic just like Kelsey was automatic in the red zone, Emprise Bank member FDIC, and automatic with his performance every single week. Joining me this week, my good pal, Maddie Lane. Maddie, my friend, how are we doing? It's a fantastic time to call me automatic as I have to adjust my light here because it was looking a little dark. Um, but, you know, I'm doing good. The, the Chiefs the Chiefs come on with another victory here. It looked ugly for a while, but it was fun. And honestly, if you go back and rewatch this game and you just start at the egregious roughing the passing penalty, it's a great it's watch. Like if you just skip everything up until that point, it's a blast. So you want to feel good after this, go back, watch the game starting from that point. The Chiefs, the Chiefs played really well for the most part on that side. So it was, it was a fun time. Um, Kent is not here with us today. He's all right. But uh, instead, we're, you know, onwards and upwards. We got a better host now and Craig Stout. Craig is great. Oh, no, He's no, no, here. no, 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 no. Already coming I'm, I'm not in, willing to stealing Kent that. Shine. Next time you see him, he might have a toupee. He wants to take the hair game to another level, no. too. Like, we're trying it. The only shine that you're going to see is the, the glean off the top of this bald head, buddy. All right. Well, 
as we always do on the day after the game, we're going to break down a little bit of what we saw. You know, we've had a chance to absorb the game a little bit more and get into it a little bit more. Maddie and I, in typical fashion, do not have a rundown. So here we go. This is this is just completely off the dome here. And a lot I'm of hip fire with, here. You know, a lot of hip fire. I'm going to start with one that, frankly, I've got to go back and retcon something that I said in the live post game show yesterday. You guys, I, I had some hope. I had some hope that Trent McDuffie would be coming back this week and stepping right in. We'd see Trent McDuffie, Jalen Watson, those two on the outside in the base. Guys, I'm wrong. After re-watching this game and when we're doing these live shows and everything like that, it you know, you don't I don't always get to chart and see as much of the personnel as I want. Going back and re-watching this game, Rashad Fenton was the guy. I mean, it doesn't matter. Yes, they moved Jalen Watson around to match up with Devontae Adams when they were in sub packages, but Rashad Fenton's out there on the field in base. He is one of your two starting cornerbacks. It is Legereus Need. It is Rashad Fenton. So Jalen Watson has not surpassed him as maybe we had thought, you know, looking at the game there at the end of last night. So I want to apologize to Rashad there, and I want to recalibrate some of the expectations here. Trent McDuffie might come in and replace Rashad Fenton a little bit, but I don't think that it's going to be the Watson and McDuffie show on the outside with Legereus Need and sub packages, Maddie. Um, Yeah, I think... So, I guess, to understand this correctly, you think in base, you think it is going to be Legereus Need and Trent McDuffie? I think so. And I, I, okay. I think we we have, we have saw them rotating a little bit with Rashad Fenton on the outside early in base. Not very much, obviously. But I do think that it will be those two outside in base. Okay. No, no. And that's what I wanted to clarify. I wanted to make sure you weren't saying that once McDuffie came back, you still expected to see Fenton and Sneed with McDuffie just coming in as essentially the nickel, essentially just taking Jalen Watson's role. So, okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree with that. I think it will be interesting to see if they come across teams that like to throw a lot of quick screens that like to run on the outside. If Fenton doesn't get more base run, because for all the potential shortcomings that Fenton may have in coverage, he's a really good tackler. He is a good run defender as a corner. Steve Spagnuolo trusts him to be a force player on the outside. He trusts him to actually insert into the run fits. And while Trip McDuffie is willing to and capable of doing so, he's a small guy. He will miss some tackles he did in college. He will miss some tackles in the NFL doing those same things. So if you get a team, if the Chiefs played the Browns, who love to run to the outside and force these corners to play against the run, especially with some of their pin and pull stuff, yeah, that might be a game where it makes sense to see a little bit more Rashad Fenton in base. So I just wonder if it becomes a more matchup dependent. But if Trent McDuffie has come back and healthy and he is losing reps on any play that has above a 25% chance to be a pass play to Rashad Fenton, I will be a little upset. I The only thing okay. they have in coverage there is hard to pass up. So, so basically what we're going to see is the Raiders next time that the Chiefs play them, if Darren Waller can't go, because that was part of the situation here, the Raiders going with six offensive line, six offensive linemen again, and a fullback and a running back. That That's Rashad Fenton time for you. That, that That's what you're yeah. telling me. Yeah. Yes. They, that is, I'm, I'm fair. With, I'm fine with that. That's yeah. when it's allowed. But even then, like the Raiders weren't ever running to the outside though. So why even do that? Right? Like they weren't actually putting Fenton in position to excel as a tackler. Instead, they were just running play action and forcing him to cover, which is yeah. where I have my concerns. So yeah, 
I'm with you. I think Rashad Fenton will definitely still have or should still have a specific role. Mm-hmm. I will be very – I'm interested to see what that looks like going forward, especially right away, because I am afraid that McDuffie might get worked back in solely. I am afraid that Watson takes the snap count hit and not Rashad Fenton. Um, so there's enough negativity, okay? Like there's enough yeah. negativity yeah, on the start. Yeah, we had to I just – I had to get, get that one – I had to get it no, off my chest it. because it's been it's been weighing on me a little bit. I, I was untruthful. I get it. Who, watching back, going back through, just thinking about the game, what defender jumped out to you as the player that really caught your eye that you don't know if you really gave as much credit as you wanted to live? Oh man, that's a that's a really tough one because I, I feel like we did a good job highlighting you know Colin Saunders. We did a good job highlighting Frank Clark, Chris Jones. Um, I'm, I'm gonna give a little shout out to Malik Herring. Uh, Malik Herring nice. is is being thrust into some serious snaps here over the past two games, and he's holding his own. Uh, he doesn't look out of place. You know, obviously, you're seeing things, little little things here and there that you'd expect him to get cleaned up. You're not seeing a guy with you know a ton of juice off the edge or anything like that. He's just a really solid spagsy defensive end like and they're bringing him in in obvious run situations because he's obviously an exceptional run defender even replacing frank clark who is also a really good run defender being replaced by malik herring out there and he's doing his job he really is so i i think that's a guy that the more i watch of him the more i'm coming away and i'm like i, I think the chiefs have a nice rotational piece in malik herring right now an early down guy a guy that with mike dana can help bookend some of these base down stuff. Listen to us. Just talking about heavy personnel all the time here, but Malik Herring caught my eye a little bit. The Raiders put us in the spot. Blame the Raiders. Like with most <laughs> things in life, the Raiders are at fault for these things that you guys aren't enjoying right now. Um, whether you like heavy personnel or not, you know, us talking about it, you know, you can hit the subscribe and the like button. And tell you what, if I see like five likes pop in right now, I'll quit talking heavy personnel. It will be that quick. Five likes in, done talking about heavy personnel. Um, that said, yeah, I thought Malik Herring did a pretty good job. I, I He came in, he played, he looked like he belonged and everything. It's like That's what you want to see out of a guy that couldn't get on the field up until that point. So good job for him. Uh, round of applause. I'm going to give Nick Bolton a little bit of a shout out. I'm, I still have my qualms with Nick Bolton. I think that he gets a little bit more shine because he is a very good tackler. And so he doesn't miss tackles when you have a defense full of guys that don't tackle particularly well. That is something that is eye-popping. And he does have a knack for making big plays and big moments. So that's also eye-popping. I think he very much catches the eye as a linebacker. I think he's a little late to insert into gaps versus the run. I don't think he covers particularly well. I think his range gets stressed a lot when Willie Gay's another. When he's playing next to Darius Harris and he has to be the rangy linebacker, it's noticeable that he is stretched farther than he can make it. But he made a few plays in the second half that well, even in the first half, he made enough plays that you go back and you take him away. I don't know if the Chiefs are still in this game. He made just enough plays that even, even though I think he gave up some, he made just enough big plays that you kind of have to tip the cap and say, okay, they mm-hmm. might not have that good, good of a defensive performance without Nick Bolton out there. So like tip of the cap, I think there's some room for improvement in this game this year. Like I actually think he needs to start. I don't know if he's taken a step forward. I don't know if he hasn't taken a step backwards this year from his rookie season, to be honest, but he, you know, he's still making enough plays right now that you feel good about it. And I think this game is one of those where you could pick out good and bad throughout the process. 
I want to see him next to Willie some more. Like I, I yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. When, when you're putting him out there and he's the guy that you're expecting to kick out to the flat and cover those guys because he's, he's the one that's the most capable of it. That's not his forte. I mean, that's what, that's what Willie's there for. That's, that's what he's there for. So, you know, unfortunately not going to see it against the bills this weekend, but it's a right time for him to come back against Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a little scary too, but I mean, it, you know, it, we'll see. It'll be nice to see what that linebacking cord looks like at full strength again. I, okay, I'm 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 moving on here. I fair. Legarius need needs to be talked about like three thousand times oh. more than he is right now. I know that we just got done talking about him a little bit last week, or maybe that was two weeks ago, and the impact that he's making. For those of you who are unaware, and I put a tweet out this morning. I had a little something in the KCSN daily, you know, newsletter from this morning. So subscribe to that if you're not. It's KCSN.substack.com. Go there, subscribe. 30 bucks a year, you get access to a whole bunch of stuff. You've heard the drill and potential to win free Chiefs tickets. But I have talked about LeJarius Sneed, and we have talked about LeJarius Sneed. He is now leading the league in forced fumbles, and he is the only defensive back inside the top 25 in sacks. And we, the conversation that we had was him as an impact defender, a, a player. I think Maddie, I, I don't want to go down, down this, wanna, this road again. You're I'm not going to go again? down this exact road again, because we don't need to, to try and straddle that line <laughs> as a defender right now. He is making just as many plays as guys like uh, Micah Parsons, as guys like a miles Garrett, like he's up there. He is contending because He's creating turnovers. He's being a force blitzing off of the edge. Like he is instilling terror in some of these offensive lines and protection schemes right now as a blitzer. So much so that the Raiders didn't really want to play with condensed formations when they were in sub packages. Yeah. And that's something that the Raiders do plenty. You know, they like to bunch it up a little bit, get Hunter Renfro with some free releases. Mm-mm. They were terrified of Legereus Sneed coming off the edge and being a problem. He is altering game plans with the way that he is playing right now. And frankly, we're not going to hear about it because he's not going to post a whole bunch of interceptions <laughs> right now. His coverage grades, you know, people are going to look at him and go, eh, well, you know, we'll see what we'll see. But he deserves to be lumped in with all pro right now. Like he's that, he's playing at that level right now. And nobody, and you know, just nobody in the national media is talking about him at all. And he has been well, the engine for this defense. Well, the thing. if you flip what his, like the letters next to his name and it's which his position from cornerback to safety, I think immediately he starts looking a lot better to people. Now yep. he's still, you know, the coverage numbers still aren't going to be great. You're still going to see a safety that's giving up a few more yards or pass a rating higher than you want to, but everything else starts to make sense. Tackles, tackles for loss, safeties, forced fumbles. Like, all of it kind of wraps in a nice tighter bow if you just call him a safety. So from that perspective, I get it. And then to your point, Derek Carr, Hunter Renfro, Troy Aikman on the broadcast, all these people are specifically pointing at and mentioning Legereus Need, finding where he is on third downs anytime he is not lined up wide, like, mm -hmm. a, like a slot receiver is lined up wide, but anytime that he is anywhere where he could remotely come close to blitzing, and even if he doesn't look like he's about to do it, people are still like saying, hey, Check that guy. You see Carr pointing to him. You see Renfro pointing to him anytime he did anything with his feet. If he even slightly twitched, the receiver is pointing <laughs> and yelling like, hey, this guy's over here, you know, somethinging. And it made a broadcast. 
a slot defensive back made a the national broadcast numerous times about got to make sure you know where Legarius Sneed is here. And they're not wrong. Outside of Chris Jones, he's the most consistent guy in terms of getting pressure, like in, in terms of quantity and the efficiency of doing so pretty much. So like, I get it. I get it. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to ride this train till, till the wheels fall off. You know, you forget everything about actually covering a wide receiver. Legereus needs the best quarter in the NFL right now. Whew. Yeah, that's that. Yeah. But I mean, I, I just think that he's probably going to get overlooked this season. Slot corners typically do. I mean, how long did it take, you know, Kenny Young playing at an elite level before they was finally recognized? But I, it is what it is. I, I do have a couple of things more on the defensive side of the ball, Maddie, but I, I want to Kent's turn it over to you. Kent's not here. Fire away. No, Kent's not okay. here. Fire let's, away. Let's talk a Rapid little bit fire. about Joe Colon. Um, oh. Joe Colon. Uh, I, I'm ready to give that man some flowers. Uh, I know Ooh, that. I don't know if I like it after this game. Well, uh, no, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I, I, I think what we're seeing is more discipline by certain. Che- I'll just be real. Chris Jones is playing a, a vastly more disciplined game than we have seen him play in Kansas City right now. Um, yes, he's still got some elements of this that he is trying to you know, swim, trying to get penetration, stuff like that. You're never going to take that out of him, and you don't want to because he makes crazy good things happen enough times where you don't want to get that out of him. I mean, but I think the discipline with which he's playing, he's absorbing more double teams. He's taking it on. He He's, he's trying to control gaps a lot more then we've seen that, and we've seen that benefit the defense as a whole. And again, I'm I'm with Matty. This maybe isn't the week to talk about it specifically because the Raiders' run game was lighting them up with putting that extra gap and attacking the bubble, you know, that open B gap in front of that, just inserting the fullback in it over and over again and challenging the linebackers there. But I have been pleasantly pleased with the performance, not just of the younger guys. George Karloftis looks great. Uh, gets a half a sack, finally. Mike Dana has taken strides. But even the guys that you would expect, Carlos Dunlap, Frank Clark, Chris Jones, these guys look really good. And, I mean, we keep praising Colin Saunders this year as it clicking for him and him finally taking that next step. I'm looking at this defensive line as a whole, and I'm saying, you know what? I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to give Joe Cullen some praise here because everybody I think is performing better than we expected of this group and it's contributed to being an above average defensive line for certain but you know maybe even better than that as the season goes along. Generally speaking, yeah, I am with you. I think up until this week, especially, like I you know would be willing to give the full round of applause. Joe Cullen's done a fantastic job. You can point to specific players. You can point to schemes. You can point to new wrinkles with some of the, you know, uh, the twists and the stunts and all these different things. Like, I think there's a lot of stuff that you could say, ah, here is the Joe Cullen impact. And mm-hmm. I feel pretty confident in saying it. I am slightly joking about this game because I think the defensive line got pushed around a lot. Now, mm-hmm. I also think a part of the issue is if the offense is going to bring in an extra offensive lineman and then run duo with a fullback also on the field, you linebackers got to also step up and make a play. And I felt like that's where the bigger gap was. Yes. There's multiple times where Jones or Nadi or Saunders even are getting completely thrown out, uh, you know, by the double team, but that's something you almost don't expect, but it's going to happen. If a team is going to play you that particular way, your linebackers got to fill in. So like, I, 
I'm joking, but I don't think this was also their best defensive line performance that they've had all season. But I think a lot of that was because just how the Raiders decided to play. The Raiders said, hey, we are going to shorten this game down. We are going to run the ball with this heavy personnel. Learn to stop us. So, like, you know, it is what it is. I hope that Colin keeps getting kind of the uh, praise that he was getting up until this point, though. He's been great for this team. Like, he's done everything the Chiefs could have ever won out of a new defensive line coach this year. I mean, you, you have seen Brendan Daly, a guy that had a ton of hype. We were high on when when the Chiefs added him, a guy that we were like, hey, man, this this guy could be one of the key ingredients to this defensive coaching staff. Brendan Daly moves to the linebacker group, and you replace him with Joe Cullen, and I'd say the defensive line looks better. I mean, I'm, maybe it's a combination of talent, guys putting it together, Cullen's influence. It could be a lot of elements here, but I, I've been very pleased with Joe Cullen so far. I'm very curious to see what the plan is for attacking Josh Allen this weekend with him. All right, Maddie, I got one more defensive defensive storyline here. Um, Late on me, and it's more Arrowhead than it is the defense, but it's because okay. the defense is on the field here. We have heard so many stories now from so many people that were in that building that said that that's the loudest that they've ever heard Arrowhead, and there's people that were in the building for the world record how awesome is a pissed off arrowhead stadium because i honestly you know we're, we're giving andy lots of credit for getting after carl Sheffers. we we really are but i think carl Sheffers maybe was a little bit scared for his life because of how loud did and angry hear, arrowhead did you was hear there. him have to get on the mic at one point in time <laughs> My man was fighting back tears, and he was—he wasn't even calling a penalty on the Chiefs. He was just fighting back tears from having to talk. I—it was unbelievable to hear, and I, it's not like we've been spoiled. Arrowhead is always loud. Don't—I I don't want to say Arrowhead's not loud. Arrowhead is always loud, but during that one forty-two point two stage where you had that group of people and that group of fans, the Chiefs were on the come up. A little bit there was starting to be some hype you were starting to get excited and that was a big game and everything like that now that you've seen this team win consistently <laughs> they you've seen prices go up you've seen you know listen I, i've been there you know sometimes you look at the chiefs tickets and you're like man that's a little bit expensive even though i want to go i want to cheer on my team it prices some people out. And so it's not that you're you're getting a whole bunch of hand sitters or anything like that. It's still loud. But some of that group that was there for that 142.2 isn't there right now or isn't able to be there right now. And so to see and to hear all of that was intense. Like it was fun to see Arrowhead that rocking again. And all it took was Carl Sheffer just completely screwing up a rowing passing penalty to have it get going again. No, and I think that maybe played a big a big role in it too is normally when there's cheering, there's just it's just noise, right? It's just mm -hmm. not ambient noise, but it's unspecific noise. Even you get the chop going sometimes, you have the people banging on the seats, people just kind of yelling whatever they want to yell, right? That's where you're getting the loudest. Yes, it's on third downs, it's when they get pinned and offense gets pinned in the end zone, but it's still just generic noise. I think the fact that everybody in that stadium is perfectly in unison with we are booing. We are angrily booing and yelling obscenities at the referees 
because everybody has the same message, I think it probably just made it come across a lot clearer. That was the loudest I've ever heard Arrowhead on the TV through the broadcast, easily the loudest. But I also wonder if that's because everybody was saying the very specific same phrases every single time, right? It's the same noise. If you, if you watch a Denver Broncos game, I don't think Mile High or whatever they call it now is one of the loudest stadiums, but you very clearly hear every time they say incomplete because everyone's oh, chanting but everyone's chanting the same word. So I think the fact that everyone was chanting the same thing made it very, very, very obvious. So like, I, I like that and it was good. And yeah, I think that is good for the chiefs. If the chiefs fans see this and you go to a game and you see the impact that that effort put in there, it's only going to make you want to go back and do it again. We have, oh, yeah. I'm sure anybody that wasn't at that game that could have been, you know, that had the means to be there and just decided Monday night may not be for them. Maybe they'll go another week. You got to step your game up now. You don't want to be outshone by everybody that was just there. Yeah, uh, we we had a, a comment earlier in the show here from Mercurial eighty nine um, said, "Yo, watching from Austin that the Australia Austin, I think it's Australia. That stadium was insane. I got to get myself to one of those games. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that you're seeing. That's, that's the kind of impact that that sort of thing makes on all of that. And I mean, it's so." fun that while the chiefs are good while you have the best player in the nfl the offense is clicking the defense is coming up it's so fun to hear that group of fans is still so passionate about it it's not a jaded sort of thing and i i think occasionally we get accused of that right now everything riding high on the horse it's easy it's easy to be jumping on the bandwagon and and cheering for this so to hear that to hear those fans it just kind of for the proofs, you know, Kansas City, this is this is a place to be. This is a stadium to be. And that's everything that you would expect out of this group of fans. Oh, now, we've talked defense. We've talked yeah. refs. Can we talk offense now? My goodness. Yes. Let's talk offense. Okay. The Chiefs, um, offensive explosion in the second half, right? The the first half often the first half offense struggled. They struggled mightily. They flipped, they scored the field goal in the last, you know, bit of the first half. The Raiders are playing prevent. They pick up enough yards on a penalty, on a little flat route, stuff like that. So I don't even want to count that. But they come in the second half and they are just simply rolling, right? They are just simply rolling. It, it was hard to pick a specific schematical change that I think they underwent in halftime. But I will say this they came out of halftime and there was a very clear understanding from Patrick LeVon Mahomes on what he had to do to be successful. I think guys played better. I think the offensive line clearly stepped up in the second half. I think the coaching staff understood they couldn't sit back and make all these five, seven step drops and they had to alter stuff. But I think the very most specific thing that happened was you could see Mahomes understood exactly what he had to do. He understand the gravity of the game. He understand how it was being played he knew that when he stepped up in the pocket, he can't just step up and then sit there to throw the ball. No, he has to step up and stay on the move. He has to step up, probably slide away from Max Crosby, who is going to be countering back to the inside as soon as he does. But you could just see the process. And I think this goes back. This is as good as this man has ever played this game. And he's been the best player in the league for four years now. And this is as good as he's ever played. I have yet to see a quarterback outside of Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers when he's on a heater, maybe Drew Brees, like these guys that I've seen in my lifetime that have had this much control, just control, not raw talent, not the ability to take over a game, but just 
raw control over every aspect of a game as Mahomes has been showing at times the past year and a half. But this is just another example. The second half of this game, everything he did was on his script. It was because he wanted it to happen. I just, you're witnessing greatness. And I don't think, you know, 292 yards, 6.8 yards per attempt, stuff like that jumped the four touchdowns, obviously. But like, that stuff doesn't jump out at you. But when you go back and watch everything that he had to endure in that first half, come back and change how he was playing or what he was doing, I just that was an elite performance, and I don't know if it's going to get the credit that it deserves at the end of the day. It was so quietly elite. It really was. And I mean, he still had all the hallmarks of, you know, a, a typical Mahomes game, you know, he had crazy arm angles, navigating the pocket, being able to hit guys in stride, you know, manipulating defenders, shaking off guys out in the, you know, the pass rushers, things like that. It was all there. And the running game was back. I, I think that's the thing that we haven't seen as much this season. He got on his horse. The running game started working as well. It got to the point where the defensive ends were tired. Those two were tired, and they play a lot of snaps out there. They they really keep Max Crosby and Chandler Jones on the field a lot. Those guys were really really exhausted, and you saw it start to show up as the as the game went along. And yet you don't you just don't ever see the confidence waver from Patrick. You you really don't. You you see him build and build and build, and then you got a guy like Max Max Crosby that's going to come out and start shit talking him and. Like okay, well now you now you messed up because now you now you pissed off Patrick and we know what that looks like. So it it is fun to see. I'm I'm with Maddie. It's fun to see him control the game the way that he does. Outside of that Colts game and everything this season has just felt very much in his wheelhouse. He's got everything under control. You're not as worried about what's going to happen with Patrick. Everything's fine. Everything's good. He's got this. And after last year and maybe parts of the year before where we were coming off of that crazy, you know, not rookie, but first year starting season where you just had such elite performances, you were nitpicking things. And so he wasn't gaining some of those yards. You weren't getting into those sort of situations. And now all of a sudden you've got the Chiefs who are converting 53.8% of third downs that are longer than seven yards. That's outrageous. That is vintage Mahomes, if we can call it vintage Mahomes at his young age. But that's the sort of stuff that that we become used to, you know, when he was playing early on, and it kind of dipped away a little bit, and it's back. And it's back in a big way, and that's why it feels like he's so much in control. There's no nervousness. There's no worry. There's no anxiousness anymore when he's on the field. You can just trust that things are by and large they're gonna go well or he's gonna figure it out that's the big that's the big thing is things haven't been perfect you know receivers and him being on different pages there isn't Tyree Hill to go with Travis Kelsey even in this game Travis Kelsey four touchdowns phenomenal performance but it wasn't like he was putting his like imprint all over the game up and down the field like we've seen him do in the past they don't have this go-to guy in this game they can't block the defensive ends across from they can't run the ball and yet any time after in the second half, there was not a single moment where you ever felt like that offense wasn't about to go down the field and score. And it's just the the amount of control. Because even pre-snap, you see him calling stuff out, making his adjustments. Just he's the best. And I just think it's it's a different way this year. Yes, there's the highlight throws. I think we talked about um somebody mentioned the mechanics. Uh, here we go. 
the uh, the mechanic, the physics on the throw to MVS, where he's like sidestepping and throwing a, like a submarine pitcher, but mm-hmm. halfway across his body. Great throw. The no look pass to McCole Hardman on the third and fifteen, where there is the illegal hands of the face, where he's also charging at the line of scrimmage. Phenomenal throw. Like he still does those Mahomes like things, but it's the small things. And it's not just taking checkdowns. It's not just throwing the ball into the flat to your running back early. That's not what I mean by control. It's just he has such a good read on everything that is happening. Um, I did want to touch on something you said. Those defensive ends of the Raiders getting tired. Yeah, I think that was part of it. I think Jarek McKinnon chips the hell out of defensive <laughs> ends. I think he's not the biggest guy, but I think he has found a way to hit defensive ends hard enough that they don't want to be hit by him very much. You see, Max Crosby's a tough dude. Like he's I, I'm still not the biggest Max Crosby fan. I think he had a dominant game. He played excellent, and he's a very good player. I dominant. don't think he's a top five talented pass rusher defensive end in the NFL. I don't even think he has a case for it. But he's tough, and he's good, and he was dominating this game. By the third and fourth quarter, he was scared of Jarek McKinnon catching them ribs coming around the edge. He was spinning inside. He was jumping inside. He did not want anything to do with that. And he's not the first defensive end that's done that against the Chiefs in the second half. It's almost weekly where you can catch some guys actively going out of their way to avoid being chipped. And yes, I understand that's part of a defensive end's job, but just watching some of the way do it, they almost have to give up their rush to avoid being hit by him. I think he's laying some guys out. I think he's. I think it is taking a toll on defensive ends when Jarek McKinnon is coming out of the backfield and chipping them 20 plays in a game. Like They just don't like it anymore. Matty, you know what's taking a toll on the beer aisle of your grocery store? Oh, man. I don't know. Tell me. It's liquid death. You may have been noticing these tall boy cans that are just kind of hanging out in the fridge. If you're at the gas station, you're at Target, any of these places, you see these big tall boy cans and you're like, oh, man, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to grab a beer. I'm going to hang out with this beer. That's not beer. That is liquid death. It is a new water brand out there that looks just like tall boys of beer, but it's actually just mountain spring water that's available and still sparkling and three flavors. Now, I actually had one of my coworkers. I, I managed a group of engineers that had himself a liquid death the other day, and I witnessed him crack it open. And if I hadn't have been told about liquid death before that, I would have been like, hey, man, what the hell are you drinking at work? You know, it, it looks exactly like a beer can. So I would I would have definitely thought that. And it's just a crazy kind of new advertising campaign that they're coming out to get the word out about it. I mean, it, people ask, why is it called liquid death? Well, you've heard Kent say it. It's because it's going to brutally murder your thirst. And it's going to help with their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans that are better than plastic. A lot of plastics don't get recycled anymore. It's hard to recycle plastic. It's more difficult. Aluminum is far more recyclable. So that's why they're going down that road with this. So I'm just saying, you need to go out. You need to search for liquid death at your local stores. Try and get yourself some of it. Go to get it at Target, Walmart, 7-Eleven, or find a liquid death retailer near you with their store locator tool, liquiddeath.com slash KCSN. That is liquiddeath.com slash KCSN. Okay, Murder man. your thirst like McKinnon murders defensive end rib cages. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the receivers a little bit. Um, 
good. This I think we saw you know a little bit of an up and down performance by some of by Juju Smith Schuster. Mm-hmm. Uh, not his best game as a Chief so far, but we got to see Marquez Valdez Scantling pick things up a little bit. Now I know it was highlighted kind of in the chat here um, that there was a couple of drops by MVS that kind of we're still calling it a very good game for MVS, but because it was, but yeah, he still had some characteristic drops there, but it was good to see him still step up. I believe you called him possession receiver MVS while we were doing the live show. It's good to see him perform that way. So just thinking about those two guys and the way that they've kind of taken some turns operating. Juju's been pretty good before now. Now this is an MVS game. Can the Chiefs get away with doing that, with kind of having both of those guys just kind of taking turns, stepping up, and really producing enough to help the wide receiving core contribute enough with Travis Kelsey, obviously, on the field, taking all the uh, shine? So, and we got this question, is it a bit daunting that this game was called a great one for MVS and he still had two ugly drops that you alluded to? I don't think so, because he's not a number one wide receiver. I don't even know if you want to pound the table that MVS is a number two wide receiver right now, a true number two wide receiver, right? The Chiefs essentially have three uh, wide receiver threes. I mean, that's essentially uh, Juju. I think if he can return to being fully healthy, which I don't know if we're ever going to see it this year, you can sell me that he's a definitely a wide receiver too. I think some of the stuff you've seen from him this year can make you believe that, but then also a game like this comes in and you just say, okay, It's not consistent enough, but it's a team full of role players at receivers. But what you're liking to see now from MVS to McCole Hardman, to Juju Smith-Schuster, even Justin Watson getting in there, these guys have all had their games. They've all had a game where they either led or were close to like within like one catch of leading the team, the wide receiver room and receiving yards this year. That's kind of what the Chiefs were going for in the absence Mm -hmm. of Hill. They weren't trying to get the alpha dog wide receiver one. They weren't trying to replace Hill with Devontae Adams. They weren't trying to replace him with Stephen Diggs. They were just getting a handful of guys that any given week, one of them can be their best receiver. The guy that the offense doesn't funnel through, but the guy that gets a little bit more emphasis. This game, especially after some early, I don't even want to say bad plays, but just unfortunate plays or lack of execution of Juju Smith-Schuster, it became the MVS show. And then it became the McCole Hardman show after MVS had a couple incidents like that, right? So I, I love how this is going for them. I do think somebody needs to finally take a step up and consistently week in and week out be at least counted on a little bit more. Right now, I don't know how you feel confident that you can count on any of these guys week in, week out. I still have the most faith that if I need five yards, I can throw it to Juju on a little possession route, a little curl, or I can throw it to him in the flat and he's going to fall forward. But like that's as far as my confidence in terms of it's a sure thing exists for this receiver group because MVS is assuredly going to have a good catch and a drop that you want back. McCole Hardman is going to probably have a big play and then he's also going to have a play that maybe isn't a drop, but is a play that you would like to see him make. It's like, they're going to have all of this same stuff. So I I like what this wide receiver room is turning into right now. I think there is still a full-on step to go for them, though. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see the Bills. Is it the same thing? Are they starting to find a little bit of a rhythm? Or is it going to go back to, hey, Travis Kelsey is our guy. Let it just be another Travis Kelsey game. I mean, it, it's usually a Travis Kelsey game, to be fair. Uh, going back, eliminating Travis Kelsey, which, you know, he's the star. He's the guy that's going to get 
the bulk of these targets, although Juju has gotten pretty much the same amount of targets as him most games here. Week one, Juju Smith-Schuster leads all receivers, not tight ends, all receivers in receiving yards. Week two, Justin Watson leads all receivers in receiving yards. Week three, Juju Smith-Schuster. Week four, MVS. And now week five, MVS. I think the the thing that's fun to look at about all of those is that it's not just one guy that's spiking up there. Like this week, MVS has 90 yards receiving. You know, he looks good. He's getting a lot of targets. McCall Hardman's right behind him at 73. Like a lot of times here, you're having that second receiver for the Chiefs be right behind the number one guy. And that's, again, eliminating Travis Kelsey, who is usually outpacing them all. So that sort of contribution is what we had kind of hoped for when we were talking about this offense all along. It's what Patrick Mahomes was referring to when he was talking about fantasy. It's like, it's going to suck for you guys a little bit because the ball is going to go everywhere. These guys are all going to get, you know, targets. They're going to get games. It's going to depend game to game. And so far that's been correct. And they played against some good defenses so far. So to see different guys win in different ways, even if it's not always the way that we would hope guys are utilized or guys are implemented to you know, best fit their strengths, it still is working. There's a very clear path, a very clear plan. And I love the way so far that they're implementing these guys in the offense. So that's that's a lot of fun there. All right. Do we want to do we want to bring it down a notch? No, hold on. We can't get away from wide receivers. We have to okay. talk about. Yeah, go, go right ahead. Yeah. Just, we got to do this the quick Sky more thing because it, it it peaked last week versus the Bucks where he got a lot more reps. And I don't know if it's because the run game was working. I don't know if it was the specific something they saw with the Buccaneers defense. It seemed like there was a slight drop in Sky Moore's reps this week. And I don't think it was a, anything he did wrong. It seemed like it must have been a defensive game plan aspect. He was put on the backside of a lot of three-by-one formations last week ran a lot of isolated routes, didn't get a ton of targets, but the ones he did, he made use of. This week, he doesn't even get a target until they're just running some screens, but they you know, they trust him in these high-leverage situations. He did exactly what you would expect on a wide receiver screen each time, so that was good to see. Um, I think we did have a question about, is Sky more 100% on his targets? Um, no, Levante David dropped out on an RPO that he had entered into a run fit, dropped out and knocked it down before it got to him. But I believe Sky Moore, there's been a deep one to the corner. He didn't catch as well. Any ball he's got his hands on, I believe he has caught in the regular season though. Um, there's been a couple he has not been able to get to. That one by David, there was a deep one against the Bucks, but he's there. And I am still waiting for the Sky Moore breakout game. I have faith that it's coming because they're putting him out there on a game winning drive or a game icing drive. Like, He's out there. Like they, tr- they're trying to throw the ball to or put him out there into situations where it matters. I think it's coming. It's just as we're talking about any given week, it can be any guy. It's really hard to insert a rookie into that when you still have four other guys you think could all have a big game that week. It would be really fun if that big game happened this week against the Bills. I'm just saying mm-hmm. a, a Sky Moore breakout game in that scenario would be just incredibly fun. So I, I would really enjoy that a lot. All right. Bring us down. We're going to take some questions here in about five minutes. So get some questions ready. Craig's going to put us on a low note before we get there though. Let's talk about offensive tackle. Um, 
we've kind of we we've talked about the offensive line kind of as a whole. We've talked about how Orlando Brown Jr. is not looking his best. We've talked about how Andy Andrew Wiley is playing a little bit up and down. It's time to have a more serious conversation about this. Um, Orlando Brown Jr. was beaten like a drum by Chandler Jones to start this game. Like it, it was minimal resistance, and I, I it's not that. You know, he he's the same player that he's always been. He certainly looks worse than he did last year. And I, I wondered if it was going to be, oh, maybe he's getting a slow start, all of that. You know, we talked a lot in the offseason about camp. You know, it, what matters is what happens in week one. That's what I said all through the offseason. I don't care if he shows up or not, as long as he's there week one and he looks good. Well, he's he was there week one. Outside of that Bucks game, he's not looked good this season. And this is a guy that, wants to get paid uh the chiefs offered a lot of money too and he said listen i I want more guaranteed i'm gonna go out there i'm gonna prove it i'm gonna play like it and so far we haven't seen it now supposedly dealing with an injury and let's hope that it's that and that some rest and some stretching and maintenance as the season goes along can help him improve but maddie right now it is rough to watch for orlando brown jr it it's hard, right? Because Orlando Brown Jr. has much higher expectations than Andrew Wiley. And so when you're comparing the two, it's not fair to compare them straight across the board as well. I mean, let's say this way. Andrew Wiley is not playing as good as Orlando Brown Jr. And it's not a very high bar to clear. But Andrew Wiley is clearly a player that opposing defenses see as maybe not quite as good as Orlando Brown Jr. They attack him more. They keep better rushers over him. They throw more stunts at him. Like, I think it's clear that the Chiefs and their opponents don't see Wiley as as good as Orlando Brown Jr. That said, he's not supposed to be. He's supposed to be the weakest part of your offensive line. He is supposed to be your your weakest link, and so that is okay. What's not okay is when Orlando Brown Jr. is barely outplaying him for a half. Now, to OBJ's credit, he lands a pancake on a defensive back after Jarek McKinnon's long run, and -hmm. from that point on, I'm not going to say he was good, but he was not the problem that he was leading up to that point in the first half. The first half, Orlando Brown Jr. was hard to function in offense with. Second half, Orlando Brown Jr., you could still play offense with. Yes, you had to adjust for it, but you could still run a functioning NFL offense that you couldn't in the first half. So he did adapt. But yeah, his play so far, you know, I don't know what the injury is. I don't know what it's affecting him from doing but it's apparently affecting him from being able to quite literally move up the arc at all. Yes, speed rushers are taking wide, long angles around him, but the problem is when they can run it 11 yards but then turn up into the pocket, it doesn't matter that they took an 11-yard you know, deep rush if they can turn up in without getting touched. He's having such a hard time pushing anybody off balance up the arc. He can't get his hands on speed rushers when they get a jump on him right now. He just can't touch them. And that's a problem. That's especially a problem going up against, I don't know, maybe a Von Miller this week. I mean, I don't know where Von Miller will rush from. It's a good matchup either way. But from what I've seen about OBJ, he can't touch speed rushers. He can't. If they get a good first, if their first step is working, he does not get his hands on them. And that allows them, even when Mahomes is stepping up, to just turn the corner around him because he doesn't have the mobility to chase them down and just get right up in there from behind. So, yeah. It's certainly a concern. I do want to say we had a question earlier in this, and I'm sorry I have forgotten who has asked it by now, why the offensive line seems to start slower Mm -hmm. and then play better. 
I think it's the Chiefs. They come out, they're feeling it out. They're like, hey, can we block these defensive ends? Let's run our five-step stuff. Let's run our seven-step drops. Let's push the ball down the field. After the first 15, after maybe one more drive, they're like, oh, we can't do this anymore. Now we adjust. The ball's coming out quicker. I think it's a lot more of just the team adapts rather than they start playing a whole lot, a whole lot better. They do play better. It's just, I think it's a lot more the team adapting to what's happening than them simply just flipping a switch. I do want to make it a point. I've seen a lot of move him to right tackle, you know, comments there. I, he's not going to move any better that way. I, the, the problem is movement right now. It's not that he's playing in a position that he's not comfortable in because he looked vastly better than this last year playing left tackle like especially down the stretch especially down the stretch he looks so much better than this there's clearly something that's going on so moving him to right tackle doesn't magically fix it i and even if you move him to right tackle like who's your left tackle it's gonna be jerron christian prince tiga winogo like i mean i i like those guys as backups but they're even as poor as orlando brown jr has played at times he is still a better left tackle, hands down, than either one of those guys. So we'll put that out there. It's still the best five that you're putting out there. You can't just shuffle him over there and make the entire offensive line better. It's just not going to be that. Okay. All right. You ready to rapid fire some questions now? Let's rapid fire, buddy. Okay. Let's see what we got. Let's see what we got going on here. Oh, okay. Here, here's a good one. Who would y'all say is the dark horse guy that needs to play well for us to win versus the Bills? Um, bonus question for me, three stats to tell me how it goes. Okay, who is the dark horse? I'll get the la- the second part. The dark horse? Um, I'm going to say Juan Thornhill because if Juan Thornhill plays well, staying over the top of everything and playing really well, I think that they limit Josh Allen from being able to do some of the explosive stuff, and that's where the Bills are just killing everybody right now. Okay, um, the, the stats for me, average depth of target. I don't think Patrick Mahomes is going to throw the ball 10 yards down the field every single play unless it's working. So average depth of target, um, one, sacks, and this goes for both teams. I just want to see how many times Mahomes gets sacks versus how many sacks the Chiefs land. I think that'll tell you pretty much which defense in these two teams plays a little bit better. And who the Chiefs' leading receiver is. If it's a non-Kelsey player and it's a real number, if it's 90 yards from MVS, I feel pretty darn good about how it went. Um, So whoever the leading receiver is, I feel like I'd have a pretty good idea at least of how the Chiefs played in that game if I saw those three stats. I love that you had to caveat that with, if it's a real number, like you, <laughs> the, right, because, the leading receiver is 28 yards. You know, Right, yeah. if it's the Justin, no, no, but that goes into it. If it's the Justin Watson 50-yard game, I don't get much from it. Like I don't, I now I don't know. But if I see it, it's, if it's a 90, I'm like, oh, okay, that went well. Uh, I saw another good question in here, but. Oh, here's one for you. Has Justin Reed lived up to your expectations so far? Ooh, it, it's been an interesting role for Justin Reed. Um, I'm curious to see what happens when Trent McDuffie comes back. It, again, I, as I've spoken about a, a few times so far this season, running kind of vanilla stuff right now. And that's fine. You know, it, it, it's it's by and large working. It's requiring Justin Reed to kind of hang out and too high stuff. If he is in the box, he's not really manning up. He's mostly mostly blitzing in that scenario or run blitzing. So I don't think that we've seen the way that Steve Spagnuolo really wants to use Justin Reed. 
I love his aggressiveness. I love the way that he's hitting the the play that he had against Josh Jacobs, where he made that open field tackle. Josh Jacobs with a head of steam <laughs> was looking to absolutely steamroll Justin Reed on his way to another 20 yards after that. And Justin Reed did a good job taking him on, dragging him down. I, honestly, we, we haven't seen a chief safety that could make that play in a little while now. And Justin Reed, that's why you bring him in. You know, you Spagnola knows how to put these guys in the right spots. You got to make tackles. You got to make plays. So far, he's making the tackles. I'm just curious to see his usage once they get back and they can run a little more exotic stuff. Uh, okay, here's one. Is Trey Smith back? Um, there was one also, also about Harrison Bucker being back and how that would affect the uh, like the cheap, the point total or spread in your opinion. We will address all of this later this week on Thursday. Hopefully, we'll have more information. I think Bucker will be back. I think Trey Smith will try to be. I don't. I think Nick Allegretti limited what they wanted to do. So if Trey Smith can functionally play, even if it's limited like it's been this year, I think he will try to come back. Uh, that's just my thought. Do you have any difference in opinion on any of that? No, I, I, I think that I was a little shocked that Trey didn't play. It must mean that something a lot more serious than than we realize. So I, I know that everybody went, oh, they're just getting the guys some rest and stuff like that. I, I don't think that Trey Smith is wired that way. I think he wants to be on the field and wants to be there. So I, I don't think it's a rest thing. So I'm I'm just monitoring him going on this season. How would you stop Josh Allen running? Um, oh. you you can't. He's too damn big. He is. Simple as that. He's too big. Any player that can match his athleticism is a defensive back, and they can't tackle him. It doesn't matter if you're the same size as him. He trucked Bobby Wagner at the mm -hmm. goal line. Another play that Bobby Wagner wasn't like. I'm not saying it was the best spot to be coming for a tackle, but he was not like in a bad position, and he got completely trucked. The dude is too big. He just simply is too big. So no. You want him to, if you're the Chiefs, you want him to run, right? You want him to get his, hit his back foot of his drop, not be sure about what he sees, tuck it and run. You want to hit him, but like just in terms of Ross stopping him, but I, I don't know. I don't even, well, again, we'll talk about it later this week. I don't know if I advocate for mush rushing, mush rushing Josh Allen because I don't want to give him time to heave a ball 90 yards down the field. I'd rather just pressure him and force him to run. I would do the opposite of what I do to Lamar Jackson versus him. I don't know if you have a different opinion there, but like, how would you stop him from running? I pray. Um, <laughs> I mean, the man runs like a gazelle. So, I mean, it's not as simple as just saying, yeah, spy him with Nick Bolton. He's, he's going to outrun Nick. And, right. You know, Nick, Nick's a great tackler. If he hits Josh Allen square, I feel confident in his ability to limit yardage in that scenario. Not, not necessarily, you know, dead stop him or anything like that but limit yardage problem right. is josh allen's gonna beat him to the spot and that that's a difficult thing for you to watch i mean you would say willie gay jr would be your answer if he was playing here but once again he kind of rolls off tackles and josh allen's just gonna josh allen's just gonna run right through that so it's going to take a team effort it's going to be one of those things where i'm with maddie bring the house Force him out of the pocket. Don't allow him to sit back there and just take deep shot after deep shot because he's going to throw it over your too high. And we just <laughs> saw Derek Carr throw it over the too high with, with Brian okay, Cook well, there. Yeah, I know. But he did. He did drop one he did. over. Hell of a pass. But, I mean, I mean, Carr's got a cannon too. So, yeah. He yeah. does. He does. He's a good quarterback. But I, I, I think it's I one of those scenarios <laughs> where you've just got to really – got to take care of business, force him out of the pocket, force him to get uncomfortable – 
if he beats you with his legs, man, you take that. Like you just do. That's that's one of those. Um, I got this question came actually from uh from Twitter from a proud UT alum. I, shout out to the uh, Tennessee Volunteers right now too. Is the shovel pass less effective against divisional opponents? Potentially. Um, burn the shovel pass, y'all. It's done. The shovel pass is bury it. Get the shovel out and bury it. It only works. The Chiefs are the only team it works for, and it's for two very simple reasons. Trey Smith and Creed Humphrey kick ass, and they can push guys around, and Travis Kelsey's better than whatever player you put running it for the other teams. Besides that, it doesn't work. The shovel pass is dead. Even for the Chiefs, it barely works. When they ran it from like the six or whatever. Don't I knew ever was, run it from the six. <laughs> there was zero chance that was getting in. The Chiefs can still get their one and a half yards off of it, even though it's being blown up because of the aforementioned things. But that play is toast. Yeah, it is. And we're seeing more and more teams adopt it. And it's now to the point where teams just, if you're not expecting Philly special, or the shovel pass along the oh, goal line, like y- y- you're in for it because you're going to get beat by that because every team wants to run those two things right now. And it just, just kind of shows the lack of red zone creativity. We give Andy a hard time. We we do about some of that. It's just just line it up and punch the damn thing in the end zone. Don't Don't get cute, but we see teams all throughout the league, just every single team all throughout the league that's using concepts that Andy – threw away or runs better than everybody else, you know, three years ago. And, and they're out here trying them and every defense is blowing them up. So I, I can't be too mad about what Andy's coming up with, even if it is cute sometimes. All right. Um, One more question. Okay. This is a good one too, actually. Dion Bush might try to uh, chop Allen, which he'd rather not like to see. I am assuming this means he would try to cut him down at the knees. Um, yeah. But here's the thing. Keon Bush is a decent tackler, actually. Yes. Okay, sorry. A decent hitter. I, tackling maybe is a little bit more up and down and putting in the Darius Harris zone of safeties, right? He comes downhill. He hits. It's a 50-50 of it's going to be a great tackle or maybe the guy rolls off of it. But Deion Bush, I seem to see him out there a little bit more on the defense, I think, against the Raiders than I'm normally used to seeing. Am I completely wrong here? Or did he mm. actually get a little bit of run? He did. He got some run. Uh, they they definitely went with more three down linemen. Um, put some extra DBs in the game. They trust him um, quite a bit. Uh, Brian Cook is still the guy that they bring in in the dime, but they go to that Dion Bush adding that fourth safety pretty quickly. Uh, that's something Spagnuolo has not done as much in the past. Like when that fourth safety was Armani Watts, they weren't turning to him often. I mean, he got some run here and there, but they weren't turning to him often. Deion Bush is definitely getting a lot more run. I think it's because of what you're saying there, Matty. He flies downhill. He wants to hit dudes. He wants to bring them down and bounce. And that's what you're looking for when <laughs> yeah. he's in the game. You know, it's late. You're trying to kill clock. Um, I, I think that I think that what what he what Chu's referring to there is um, maybe, maybe flashbacks to Dan Sorensen trying to fly underneath uh, Josh Allen, jumping over him. You know, I sure. I get it. I get it. You know, it's, I get, it's, I get it's it too. Scary. It's just, yeah, I love that question to end it. Um, because yeah, I thought I saw him out there, so I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to talk about it. But he was, he's not a bad guy to consider it. Brian Cook, excellent tackler. Um, mm-hmm. in college, actually, he like notoriously like had one of the best tackle conversion rates of like anybody in college last year. It looks in the NFL not as good. I've actually seen him miss a handful of tackles so far. So 
maybe this is a good game for a Dion Bush, especially if you have a couple Brian Cooks letting guys get behind him as they are trying to play too deep. So, you know, maybe just something to watch going forward to see where Dion Bush's, Dion Bush's reps start going. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That's going to do it for the Casey Laboratory, our typical Monday edition done on Tuesday. Please hit the like button, hit the share button, subscribe. That really helps us. And you know what else helps us? Giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We once again thank Emprise Bank for being the sponsor for this show. We once again thank all of you for tuning in each and every week. Stay tuned. We got a big one coming up this week. We're going to preview it on Thursday live at 8 p.m. Central. Come back here, join us, and we'll catch you later. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.